some of the guys that have been here are first time here and some of the other people. Um, this is our 15th annual year and uh, there is uh, there's a there's a power here that's been pretty incredible through the very beginning. And uh, I, I'm going to tell the story real quickly and uh, Ben asked me to and um, the, Mike McCann was talking to a baby that he sponsored, and he was talking about this retreat and about starting a retreat. And uh, I listened to him talk to his uh, sponsee, and uh, I found out something about my sponsor at that time, who was Ron Desotel, who's long passed. And uh, he was dying of esophagus cancer. And uh, what was going on was that uh, he had his minister come into his house once a week to talk to him. And so the minister had gone to his house, and I had phoned from the rafters. I was talking to him. I'm at the rafters on the payphone talking to him, and uh, he tells me the story that, yeah, this minister was coming to my house, talking to me, and he asked me to write down like 15 things I wanted to get accomplished before I died. And, uh, you know, and then he tells me about that Ramona came up, his wife came up with like 27 things, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and I laughed. And then he says, I only have one thing on my list. And uh, I said, what's that, Ron? And he goes, I want to give away everything that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me. And uh, I didn't ask if it was convenient. I didn't have to ask if it was a good time. I said, I'm on my way over. And I just hung up the phone. And it's funny how God works, you know. Mike's talking to his baby, and he's talking about this retreat. So I told Mike and his baby that uh, I would do anything to make that happen. But I couldn't wait till summer, because Ron didn't have that long. And, um, and that the other request was that Ron be the retreat master. And Ron came up that weekend, and a lot of people didn't realize that he was sick. And he presented the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. He spoke on the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And every time he spoke, we'd have a break, and he would go lay down. And then he would get up, and he would come back. And he was fulfilling his wish. Pretty powerful. What a lesson. And when Ron was dying, and we were at the house, you know, it was... uh, he was coming in and out of this coma, and he was on his way out. And there he was, 12-stepping me, on his last breath. So this, this particular retreat, this particular event, has spiritual power beyond your wildest dreams and can carry you through whatever, because I believe the power of God is here, right here, right now. And... Um, with Ron helping me, that's one of the lessons that I got. And uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's not about me. It's really about giving. And you saw the, all the guys back there working in the kitchen. The people that benefit from this retreat will be the ones that, that get out of themselves and help out. Those are the ones that are going to carry it to everybody. Anyway, um, I'm really pleased and honored 
being the 15th annual is a milestone for us. And I, it's such a pleasure to introduce my brother and a f- true friend and an amazing person. Ben? My name is Ben Benedetti. I am an alcoholic. Hey, and I am I am humbled. Oh, this is tough. Uh, this retreat means so much to me. Uh, it has been really such a cornerstone in my sobriety. I missed the first two or three years, uh, but. Getting to be up here, I remember when we would talk about, you know, we'll do the the 10th annual, and and Pat was going to be the retreat master then, and it seemed like such a long way off, and uh, and here we are, the 15th, and we were here five, it was already been five years ago since we were here last, and it's great to be back here at Lake Kachuma, up here at St. Vincent de Paul, and uh, man, um. When Pat asked me to be the retreat master, I got to tell you, I was completely blown away. <laughs> this is a, this, what an honor. Um, it took him 15 years to ask an Italian to be. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to represent properly. <laughs> I'm also, I think I'm the youngest, uh, which is also an honor. I actually pride myself in being very immature. And uh, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, and and like Tommy said, he had to to reduce the ticket price just to get you all up here. But... uh, I'm extremely, extremely grateful. I've said it in this room right here. I've had extremely powerful spiritual experiences at this retreat in the past. Uh, I shared with you guys, we used to, when we had the Saturday night meeting, I shared, and this is when Andy was just born, and I shared about how you guys taught me how to be a man. Uh, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, my first meeting sometime when I was a teenager. Uh, I was very young. I came in here very young because I qualified immediately. Alcohol affected me in a way that is, was dramatic and unique to only alcoholics. That transformation only happens to alcoholics. It's only in the alcoholic drinker that that happens to. And you know what that is if you're an alcoholic. You know what that is. If you've been there, you know where there is. And uh, I want to thank, you guys know my my son Andy is here tonight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the short one, right? Uh, uh, He turns 18 on Wednesday. And... uh, uh, I thought 
It just, I mean, just the timing. The timing has always been difficult. I mean, his birthday is usually the weekend of the retreat, and I, I go. I come to the retreat no matter what. I was talking to Mike before this. This is an event that I will never miss. Um, no matter what, I put this before any of the events that I go to. I really love and cherish the events. I love and cherish the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, to have the opportunity to sit and listen to people share their experience and strength and hope by applying the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in their lives is just such a precious gift. And I have grown to really, I, I do a number of retre uh, uh, retreats now, and there's been a number of retreats that have modeled themselves after this retreat now. Um, there's the State Line Retreat uh, that was uh, started as a direct result of this retreat. Then it was carried to Miami. Sandy, Sandy Beach uh, started a 12 Steps Retreat in Miami based on this retreat. Uh, and there's one, I think, in Boston now based on this retreat. Uh, so from the humble beginnings, from that phone call at the rafters, it's pretty, pretty amazing that thousands of men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous have been affected by this simple format of studying and uh, really taking a hard look and an open look and a soft look at the 12 steps. Um, I get so much. Because the magic of the, I have found that the magic of the 12, step of, 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you, if you just read the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, you won't get it. You don't get it. The magic of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous happens in the action that you take. And usually you, you hear it talked about in meetings that you feel the results of the previous steps and the preceding step, the one right after it. You see how it's designed, the magic of it. You see, you feel it. Uh, <clears throat> and going through all the steps. And then... And it's always a blur. For me, it was a blur. It was just a weird kind of process of just doing what my sponsor told me, doing exactly what my sponsor told me. And I'm really fortunate that my sponsor told me to do it exactly as it's outlined in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And it wasn't until I started giving it away to some of the people that I call sponsee that, or call me sponsor um, did they really come alive. And I hope you get to experience that. I guess I should take a moment just to see, um, I see, I'm, I'm really impressed with the amount of new faces here. I'm really impressed by that. Who here uh, is their first men's retreat? Wow. 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 Welcome. Welcome. That's awesome. I'm impressed. Who here has been to all of them? I know there's some of them. Stand up. Who you got? John, Pat, Pete. Wow. <laughs> you guys are slow learners, I take it. Right. <laughs> uh, I missed the planning meeting this year. I missed one planning meeting before also. And that's, of course, the one that they asked me to speak on steps six and seven. And I knew I shouldn't have missed another planning meeting, but I did. And of course, and so Pat calls me, and he's so tricky. He, he calls me, he calls me one day, 
And this is after they had already decided. Apparently, they, he calls me and says, we're really having a hard time finding a topic. Can you think of anything? And I said, God, I, you know, I've been thinking about it because I usually, I love this retreat so long and I've been blessed to also be invited to be kind of part of the planning of it. And, and I'm always thinking about next year, you know, just like when I drank. I'm always thinking about the next drink, right? As soon as that thing's going down your throat, I'm already thinking about the next one. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the future. And uh, I was thinking about, and I, was th- and I couldn't come to one, and, and I kept thinking about Turning Point, and, and he said, well, okay, just get back to me. He, I didn't think of that. I didn't share that with him at the time. He said, Don't, just get back to me. And after a couple days, he called me and said, man, you know, you got anything? It's about, you know, and the truth is he couldn't sit on it anymore. He was just waiting to... I said, I keep revolving around turning point, about turning points, the principle of, of being at a turning point. And he says, well, that's great. That's it then. And I oh, oh, okay. And he said, oh, and by the way, you're going to be the retreat. We, 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 we appreciate it so much. We, we'd like you to be the retreat master this year. <laughs> I said, you bastard. And I was completely blown away. I mean, I was just completely blown away. There's, there's, I was talking to to Craig Randall this week, and uh, who was also a retreat master. Who here has been a retreat master before? Nice. 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 I was talking to Craig, and I was saying, okay, how do I, you know, what did you, what did you wish you would have done? And uh, um, he, uh, he said it was just exactly how it went. It was going to go, and uh, uh, and it's not until it goes by. And he felt like, how, and he talked about how how deeply it affected him and his sobriety to get to do this. That it really did something for him. And um, I've had some. We talked about what was our favorite times of being of service. What was our favorite times of, of actually of 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 speaking for Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, he had the pleasure of being one of the featured speakers at the last international convention, and uh, I wish I could have been there for that. And uh, he also talked about speaking as the H&I speaker at the, at the SCV convention a couple years ago. And I talked about um, my, uh, when I spoke at, uh, at Scott's funeral, a couple of years ago, that was that was a powerful experience. These moments that we get to experience, where we have to be, in order to be most effective, is to be devoid of self and to get out of oneself. And there was never a more profound moment in that to be, to get to be asked to speak um, at my best friend's funeral. <coughs> And uh, and I knew it was. I knew there was nothing that I could do to make it whatever it was supposed to be. That I had to let God just do it. And uh, and I have found that that is the best way to approach life and the steps. And uh, our good friend Ron, that pet that Pat talked about. I love that guy. He used to laugh so funny. 
me and John and Pat, we used to go to daytime meetings when we didn't have a life, and we would sit up there at the rafters, and Ron was retired, along with, uh, with Phil and Ted, <clears throat> and Ron was always at, he loved the Friday noon meeting. He was always up there, that was one of his favorite meetings, and he would get up and talk and laugh. And he also, you can hear it in Pat when he talks sometimes too, but he would talk about that, about how his life seemed to go the best when he was just a mildly interested observer of his affairs. And, uh, and I have found that to be true, that the less interested I'm interested in my own life, and I'm not talking about being neglectful, you see, I'm an alcoholic that kind of, I take, I, take cap, I take captive whatever I focus my energy on. Um, I, don't, I don't take control, man. I just take over, right? And it invariably, it can actually go very well when that happens, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. You're not present in it. Because that kind of attitude is fixing on it. See, I fix. Ever since I took that first drink and I had that first drunk, ever since that moment, and if you're a real alcoholic, you've all had that first moment, I believe from that moment forward in my life, I was changed forever. I don't know if I was an alcoholic before. I don't know. I don't get into, like the big book says, or the 12 and 12, I think it is, it talks about we remove ourselves from the debating society. The big book says that every once in a while he may tell the truth, that he doesn't know why he drank more than, any more than you do. I just know that, and I don't believe that my parenting or my, the way I was raised or anything like that made me an alcoholic. I think that alcohol makes me an alcoholic. I believe that I'm physically allergic to alcohol, that it affects me peculiarly. It, it affects me in a way that's very powerful and profound. And it changed me to a point where for my entire life, from that moment forward, I'm always looking how to fix things. I'm always looking how to change things. How can I take control? What can I do to make this better? And what happens when I do that is that I, I take control. I take over the reins. I take over the, you know, I whip out my junior God card, as Gary would say, and I'm in control. And God's not there. God's there, but I don't see Him, and nor am I in any place where God can enter my life. And without that, I'm screwed. Because what happens is that at some point, Somewhere in my sobriety, in your sobriety, there will come a time when there will be no human aid against that first drink. And unless you have that spiritual connection, I truly believe that we have to, it's about perseverance, it's about stick to itiveness, it's about just staying connected the best you can. But it's also about being very conscious about how we work. It's about root causes and conditions, and it's the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that allows us to clear away those things and at the very least be aware of them enough so that we can reach that point 
of willingness to ask God to remove those shortcomings. Because ultimately, I don't think that I, 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 in and of myself, I don't have the power to, some of those shortcomings and those things like that, I don't have the power to, to get rid of them. I can exercise my will against them, but again, I get in a frustrated state. The more and more I let go, the more and more I let God enter into my life and just be a mild observer it's amazing what happens. For me, my ego immediately reacts against that. It's like, I, but then I can't get credit. But then, what if? What if? And mostly it's about I can't get credit. <laughs> or it's not going to go the way I want it. Or I'm not going to get what I want. Or I'm going to lose something I have. It's those basic, basic things. And the truth is, the more and more disconnected I allow myself to be, and just be of service, the better my life becomes. And I've had, uh, I was trying to think about all the different turning points in my life, and I've had many. I've had many, many. I've had... Uh, Oh, the birth of Andy. I was there when he came out. He, he's, he you think he, he was he was big then, <laughs> and he wasn't coming out easy. And uh, is there anybody who's who's a father here? Wow, wow, nice. Well. <laughs> <laughs> who knows that they're anyways um, for me that trans that that was an amazing transformation that to really not have any idea what's going to happen or really not have any idea what it is to be a father but what really happened for me during that process was that from one moment to the next I had this thing that was going to come into our life and change our lives. We knew intellectually all that stuff. But the overwhelming, overpowering feeling of love that happens when you behold your child for the first time, that from one second to the next, to not having that feeling to the very next second, knowing that you would give your life for that being is an amazing experience. To see that, to, to go through it again, getting married, marriage, all these things. I had an experience where, and then you start to get conscious. Once you go through the steps and you start clearing away that stuff that separates you from God, you start becoming aware. I don't believe in coincidences today. There's things that Tom, I was talking to Tommy a couple weeks ago, and he just, and it struck me. He said, Ben, you live such a charmed life. And he was kind of joking at me, but it's true. It's true. My life today, because of God, it's not, certainly not what I deserve, honestly. It's absolutely not what I deserve. 
But I will tell you that my life has been filled with miraculous, miraculous events. Things that shouldn't happen. Really good stuff that shouldn't happen to a guy like me. Because I'm a bad dude. Right? My natural way of thinking is not for your good will. <laughs> you know? It is not. Sorry. I was working for a guy down at Paramount Studios early on in my sobriety, and we were, we were, uh, well, first I, my sponsor, Ted, I started working for this guy, and I had a real hard time working for him. I would sit there, and I was the, I was the office manager secretary, and I would sit there in that office, and I would, I would answer the phones, and he would come in from his shoot and sit there right across, closer than, than me and Dick right now, and I would, sit and talk to him, and I would sit and just watch him talking on the phone, and I know that in the time that he was making that phone call, that he was making more than I would in my entire year of working in that office. <laughs> and this was my first experience with big money. I don't know how else to be it, really wealthy people. And I went to, t and I was, and he would come in all the time and say, hey Ben, how you doing? He'd hang out, and we'd hang out together, and and I went to my sponsor and I said, I got a problem. I'm resenting the hell out of this guy. I really resent it. I want what he has. And Ted said, well, why don't you ask him how he got it? I'm like, well, you can't do that. You can't talk to people like that about their money and stuff. And he said, and he looked at me like he does and he says, Go ask him. Oh, fuck. Sponsor direction. And so I went and I made an appointment uh, after one of the shoots and we sat and we talked. And this is, you know, I had like two, two years of sobriety. And I'm sitting with this guy that I'm completely intimidated by and completely admire. And, I'm, and I ask him, Ted, uh, how are you? And I asked him, I... I I want to let you know, I've, I've, I want to know how you got what you got. I want to know, how, how did this happen? How, how does this happen? And he said the most miraculous thing to me at the time. He said, Ben, I have no idea. <laughs> he says, I have no idea why I'm sitting here being me and you're sitting there being you. And then, and then we started talking about sobriety, because that's all I knew how to talk about. And he started talking with me with real, real personal stuff that was like, you know, not to be shared with other people. And I was so humbled by that. And I realized, wow, if God can do that in his life, what can he do in mine? And then there was a time where that same guy, we were struggling to buy a house and, and my grandmother had passed away and she gave us a little money and, and, uh, and, and I was short. Um, we were short. And he found out about it and the next day when I walked into my office there was a check on my desk. I mean, and, it, it's, it, and I got a house. I mean, that shit is just, 
It's talk about humbling. Uh, then I got to when I was early on in my sobriety, I got to go to school uh, uh, earlier on, and I went to college. I went to the college that I had to drop out of because I was too loaded. And my dad was a professor at that college. <laughs> my dad was the dean of that college. And he had always just been dad, like I'm sure I'm just dad to Andy. But I got to take a, a class with my dad. And I had, already, I had always seen how these students just fawned all over him and like worshipped the ground he walked on. And, and I, but I took a class and I saw how brilliant my dad really is. Because he wasn't just dad then, he was a specialist in his field. He was one of the top and I was getting to witness that. And another miraculous thing happened, another identification, another moment of realizing, wow, if he can be that good at what he does, maybe I can be that good at something that I do. And it was like a door opened. All of a sudden, there was great opportunity available to me in this life. And I just became willing to wait and see what that was and to try to achieve better in my life. These are the kind of things that are just, you know, they, they just, you can't make that stuff happen. Um, today, my life is full. And you, I get to see things in retrospect, it's always looking backwards. And I will tell you that time for me, you know, they can say, you know, Phil Stone used to always say, whoever got up earlier, earliest that day is the one with the most sobriety. And uh, he said that mostly for the newcomer, didn't make him feel good. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you the longer I stay sober, uh, the more I can at least see and recognize where God has really stepped into my life and really had my back and kept and just taken care of me in spite of me. Totally in spite of me, because I fight this thing. I just naturally go against the grain. I don't get this thing. I have to work hard at being of service. I have to work at showing up. I have to work at being here. And it's something that I get such great reward out of. Uh, but I'm still, you know, I, I see people up, and I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but I see people get up at the podium. I see people get their stuff together. I see people get sober, and they seem to just get it all together. And I never felt like that. I always feel like, I, I describe it as I'm a chronic underachiever. I always feel like there's something more I can be doing or something more. I, I, I never measure up. What I have discovered since then is that, as the big book talks about, is that our chief liabilities become our greatest assets. And that I had to, and that I learned to not let that dominate me so much. That that feeling of less than, that that feeling of not measuring up, 
doesn't have to be something that makes me go out and drink. It doesn't have to be something that makes me feel so bad. In fact, it can be something that drives me to do better. It can, do some, it can be something that gives me, motivates me to achieve greatness in my life. And there are things that, and I believe in the spirit of opportunity. There was a period when I lost, my, I lost a job. I, was, I, th- I thought I had had the job that was the, my job. It was my job. And I, like many alcoholics, embraced that job as me, as it was my personal identification. I was the associate producer. And, and I was just so tunnel vision on that career path and on that job. And then when that show was canceled, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I got some advice from a friend of mine who was just someone I was meeting, someone I was talking to. And he talked about spiritual principles and applying spiritual principles in your professional career. And he talked about becoming open to the spirit of opportunity. That by just opening yourself up, not being so focused on one particular avenue of success, but being willing to allow the spirit of opportunity to enter your life and enter your spirit, that great and miraculous things can happen. And I found that when I did that, and, and this is just my story, that within a week I had like five or six different job offers because I was willing to look outside of what I felt was my role in my career. And these were jobs that were completely outside of my comfort zone or what I felt I should be doing. And I have followed that path in my professional career. And I've been learning to try to recognize when I'm on the path or when I'm off the path. I think that we intuitively know when we're off the path. I do. I have to speak for myself. I always... I really perk up when people talk about their own personal experiences, not when they're trying to tell me what they think I should do. And I do that. I'm, I'm bad at that. I talk about as if. But when I'm taught, when I'm, I know when I'm trying to get away with something. Right? I get anxious. I feel like I'm going to get found out. I know. I know when I'm trying to get away with something. And I need to try to not do that. These are the struggles that I struggle with today. With 21 years of sobriety. I really thought I'd have it all together by now. Sad. (laughs) It is sad. There's part of it that's sad. And I have to recognize that. Because it affects my family. It It affects the people around me. I've been blessed with so much in my life that it's really just so amazing. And it's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's all about just being open. It's all about being of service. I heard one of, my, one of the guys that, that calls me sponsor talked about how his sponsor taught him about being of service. And I was like, wow, is that what I did? Is that what I do? What do we do? 
What are we doing today? What am I doing today? And when I go to work and I'm working with my clients or I'm working with my employees, it's how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help? What can I do? What do you need? Do you need anything? I remember sitting on the set one time late at night and uh, Tommy came running by and we're just passing each other we're, and I don't even remember exactly what he said, what's going on? I said, you know, thank God we got a new employer. <laughs> There's such freedom in these steps. And it's not, you know, the freedom from the bondage of self. And I only feel it very rarely, but it is kind of what I try to work towards today. Try to get out of my way and try to not be reactive and try to just enjoy life for what it is today. I will tell you that through Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that you can find a life so far beyond your wildest dreams. My sponsor, my current sponsor, who has been my sponsor for 19, 20 years now, sat me down in his house one night. And we sat and talked, and, and I love you know those times with Ted sitting late at night talking one-on-one. And, and he asked me, what do you want? And I knew that I didn't have to be afraid or ashamed about really talking about what I wanted. Not in a greedy, not in a selfish sort of way, but let's talk about what you want. What do you want in your career? What do you want? And I told him, I said, I wanted the power. I wanted the power. Um, and I say that with some temperance that I believe that there are healthy levels of ego. I believe that there are healthy levels of fear. I believe that there are healthy levels of ambition. Alcoholics have no idea what any of those are. <laughs> the 12 and 12 talks about it who among us mass greed with ambition you know so it's about there was when I used to walk around Cal Arts where I went to school that there was some graffiti on the wall that said what's wrong with just being average and I used to just think that was just the most peculiar thing Phil Stone used to talk about that we all know how far down is. Let's see how far we can find out how far up is. And that's what I'm about today. That I do believe it's okay to want to achieve greatness in your life. I think it's okay to enjoy the finer things in life. I believe in artistic expression. I believe in that some things are more valuable than others. I believe it's okay to enjoy those things. And I believe it's a wonderful and it's a gift of a higher power in our life to be able to express things at a higher level. Not our base, reactionary, human, emotional. It's, I believe that these are things that are okay to try to achieve. 
And if you don't know how, just act as if, and no one will know the difference. And that's exactly what Buckley used to talk about. Because what is acting as if? You get through acting as if, and you realize you have acted as, as if you really did. No one knows the difference except for you. What is the difference? Are we honest and sincere? Are we trying to take advantage of someone? Or are we just trying to be... Look at your motives. What are you doing? What are you trying to achieve? Life can be so amazing and so hard. And uh, this is our second uh, retreat without Scott, and I miss him. And that was a real turning point for me to watch him die and to watch such grace, such grace and dignity in the face of losing everything that which which he defined himself and knowing that it was... I don't even know if he worried about knowing if it was going to be okay or not. It just was. It just was. And that life is so precious that every moment that I waste in anger and fear feels so much more poignant to me. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. I'm so grateful for those things that have been the hardest things I've ever gone through in my whole life. To go through such pain and those things. And yet it's given me such a gift of the value of life as we know it. And I hope that you guys, through this weekend, um, can pay attention to what's being shared. I know that the speakers are very nervous about what they're going to share, if they care. <laughs> and I think that nervousness of speaking in front of people, for, for people who are committed to speaking well, it's about giving it away. It's about really hopefully affecting someone in a positive manner through this experience. You guys have given me such a life. And uh, my son's going to be 18 next week. And, uh, and I don't know how that happened. You know, I really don't know how that all happens. Um, but I know that we do have, you know, it's funny, as good as our life is, as good as our life is together, there are times where it feels not right. There are times where it seems to not measure up still. There are times when it feels like this is something I need to walk away from. And if you have ever felt that way, I can assure you that that is not true. That that is alcoholism. That that is a soul sickness. That that is a spiritual dis-ease that we all suffer from. I call them shit goggles. Because I have this life that is just amazing, and yet I can still feel like, or I can still be willing to take a risk and do something that is inappropriate, and that might risk all of that. Because of selfishness. I am selfish and self-centered to my core. And the only way to fix that, the only thing that works, time and time again, is being of service. Making spaghetti.
mopping the floors, getting out of yourself, helping someone move. I had an amazing week. I had a group of drunks and alcoholics in my house. We moved on Monday from one house to the next. I had to take a huge step of leap of faith in selling our house and, and, uh, and hoping that everything's going to be okay. And it turned out beautifully. Far be- I mean, it was just completely blind faith. And we had 12 guys load up that truck. And they were awesome. They were awesome. I was so blown away. And we even tried to buy them food. And they're like, oh, no, we're okay. We're fine. You know, I mean, it's just like they don't want payment. They don't want... And Tommy... It, and it goes back for me. I've done hundreds of those moves. When Tommy and I were working on that TV show together, he wanted a truck. And he said, God, if I get this truck, I'm gonna le- I will help anybody move, whoever asks. He doesn't have the truck anymore. Don't get any ideas. But we helped a lot of people move. We helped a lot of people move, and there was such satisfaction out of helping people. I'll just end with this. I, I love this story, the story that of, and I share this when I speak. It's uh, one night, one night when the monsters were really coming to get me, and I was full of fear, and I ran up to the rafters, and the insanity was creeping back in, and I ran up the stairs, and Phil was rarely there at night, but this night Phil was there. And I came, I went up to Phil, and Phil was just one of these guys that you just intuitively knew that you could trust with anything. And he affected so many people in such profound ways. And uh, I went up, and I went to Phil, Phil, I can't take it anymore. I'm going crazy. I can't. And he said, okay, come with me, kid. I'll help you out. Come here. I said, oh, he's finally going to tell me the secret. (laughs) The secret to happiness. I'm going to get the secret handshake or whatever it was. And he said, come with me. And he he took me out down the stairs at the rafters, out to the parking lot. And this this was in the days of what we used to call parking lot sobriety, where we would have big meetings out in front of the rafters while the meeting was going on. Because there was more fresh air out there? I don't know. And Because <laughs> we used to smoke in meetings back then. And, uh, but there was no one out there that night, and it was just me and Phil. And i got to tell you, walking down the stairs and watching Phil, and I can see it like it was yesterday, watching Phil Stone walk in front of me and feeling like here's a man who's willing to take his time out of his busy day to really just to work with me, to talk to me, I was just humbled by that. And I felt so honored. And he said, here, grab that trash can. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll take the trash can. I said, I'll, he says, we're going to clean up this parking lot. And it was just cigarette butts everywhere. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, Phil, okay, I, I'll clean up the cigarette butts, and then he's going to tell me the secret. <laughs> so we started cleaning and picking up those cigarette butts, me and Phil Stone. And it was late at night out there at the rafters, kind of one of those cold, uh, moist nights out in downtown Newhall. And uh, it took about a good hour to pick up all those cigarette butts. And we got done, 
And we stood there and we looked at the parking lot. And he said, hey, that feels pretty good, doesn't it? And I said, yeah, it does. And I felt okay. And I knew from that moment on that being of service for service's sake was what was going to keep me sober for the rest of my life. And he saved my life. He saved my life with such a simple thing. Such a simple, counterintuitive, how in the hell is picking up cigarette butts going to save somebody's life? But it did. I'm so grateful, so grateful, and I'm so looking forward to this weekend. And uh, I'm hoping I can sleep tonight. <laughs> I'm hoping there's enough oxygen in our cabin. <laughs> But I love you guys so much. Thank you for giving me my life. <laughs>